Welcome to Banners and Madness, a Jane Austen and David Lynch podcast. My name is Maya Adkins. And I'm Christian Cabrera. And today we'll be covering Northanger Abbey chapters 21 through 23. Yes. And we're joined again by Kristen Smith, our Northanger Abbey exclusive special guest. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. Uh, How are you? Uh, Pretty good. Pretty good. Can't complain. (laughs) It's been a fine week. Oh, good. Yeah. I'm wearing my my Dalek socks and sitting in my closet. (laughs) Life's good. Now that we've moved past the two-month mark, I feel like I just stopped measuring time. Like an endless. <laughs> I say, like you, last. Christian? I'm good. Um, we had a planned like a beach house trip last year around. I can't remember when it was last year, and sometime in April, I think, or May, and that's when like the hurricane was coming, so we had to cancel it, and we. Right ended up rescheduling it to Memorial Day of this year, which is next weekend. And we haven't received any notification yet from the people, like company who we rented it from, but apparently all uh, vacation rentals have been banned in Florida. (laughs) So I don't know (laughs) if we're still going or not, but. It's the vacation that could never happen. Well. (laughs) Apparently. (laughs) So I've just been like. That sucks. Hoping that they don't say anything we just kind of sneak on and do whatever <laughs> i mean it's not like we'll be going out it's like we're only like, half an hour away from where we are right now so it's not yeah, like you know, it's we're not very or something. yeah and it's like it's a beach house with a pool it's not like we're gonna go anywhere yeah so we'll see what happens well, but. fingers crossed <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, how have you been uh, um pretty good yeah um uh, uh, I had a real interesting day because I um, went on Twitter and had my two <laughs> Twin Peaks and Jane Austen tarot decks, and um, right. it was quite the response. I've never got response to <laughs> my phone has been like blown that. up, and <laughs> it was very fun. It was like the most excitement I've had in months, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say my phone has been like blowing up all day with Twitter notifications. So it did make me happy that we're getting a lot of engagement. Yeah, we got like 20 new followers or something. It was crazy. So hopefully they'll all listen to the podcast. (laughs) That's great. I can't wait. Yeah. So because this... um, beach house thing next weekend we decided to try or we're going to record two podcasts this weekend so in the effort to um not go crazy i delegated some (laughs) responsibility (laughs) and i asked kristen to please do the notes for this week so i'm very excited to hear what she has to tell us (laughs) okay well um you asked me to talk about gardens and jane austen Mm -hmm. And I'll give just a little bit of background to why I would talk about that. (laughs) Um, So I did my dissertation on literary gardens, like the image of the garden. Um, And actually I focused on about 200 years ahead of Austin or earlier than Austin. Okay. And I looked at some of the, the women writers from that period of time, so early 1600s. But 
you can't avoid uh, Jane Austen, her time period, if you're going to talk about gardens in England. And so I picked up some stuff uh, along along the way that is a little <laughs> bit more uh, relevant uh, to Austen as well. And and Austen herself, um, as we've seen in this this book, and also as you have seen in the movies, and and Maya, you've read in the other books, she herself is is really into gardens and and landscape, and she talks about it a lot. Yeah. So it's worthwhile definitely looking into, you know, what kind of gardens she was thinking about, why she might be thinking about them in certain ways, and that kind of thing. That's kind of my background. And then to look at sort of the historical context of gardens in Austin's time, uh, there's some important things to know. So first of all, in about the mid to late 18th century, so right around the time she was born and as she's growing up, um, mm -hmm. gardening was becoming more and more professionalized. Yeah. So before that, you would have gardeners who would do the work, but there wasn't a whole lot of like theory about why things should, quote unquote, should be the way that they are or what things might be more interesting. But starting, I don't know actually earlier than that in France, but then moving into England, the development of gardens and especially the design of gardens becomes more and more professionalized. So beforehand, you would have very functional gardens like the kitchen garden where they grow yeah. their herbs and the fruit. You would have your orchards. You would have um, things designed to maximize productivity because you needed the food, right? Right. Um, and you would have pleasure gardens that would have like a fountain and that's where your flowers might be. And those were just a place for the rich people who own the land to go and enjoy them, enjoy themselves out, outside. So you would kind of have those two different things. And then you would have uh, your orchards and you would have sort of your, your middle spaces, fields, orchards, you're still growing food, but the land is under control. And then you would have kind of the wilderness outside of that, your forests, things like that. Cool. So as, as people sort of gain more and more control over the land, you could do different things with the land that you owned. Now, um, around the time that Austin is writing, that transition has really, uh, basically, it's over. There's no more real transition. If you choose to have some of your, your land set aside to grow kitchen type stuff, great. But you could also get a lot of that stuff from the boats that were coming back from India, from, I mean, there's a lot more global trade. Right. Okay. Right. So um, it wasn't as necessary, especially if you were rich. So you could devote more land to pleasure. And at the same time, you have an increase, or not, excuse, excuse me, not an increase, but um, a change in the understanding of what is beautiful or what should be pleasurable in a landscape. Right. Okay. So we've talked a little bit already about the idea of the sublime. Right. right? So the Tilney children uh, are very well versed in the sublime. <laughs> so that's, you know, your mountains and your waterfalls and your um, things like that versus right. the, the beautiful or the more functional, which is a more conservative approach. And that's more land under control, looks like it's under control, well-maintained and beautiful. Okay, so that's sublime and, and beautiful, which are two different things. Those are aesthetics, right? Uh, um, understanding what's 
quote unquote beautiful or what is quote unquote worthwhile as far as looking right. at it. Okay. So you've kind of got all these changes going on at the same, at the same time. And in the 1600s, one more sort of social trend starts happening and it increases and increases. So that's what's called the enclosure of land. Okay. So people who owned a lot of land um, used to be a lot of people. Uh, let me see. How can I make this clear? You would have your landowner who owned all the land, but there would be villages on the land and they would have common use. They would be able to have their animal, you know, graze in this particular area. And there weren't a lot right. of fences and you just do, everybody shares land, even though you've got your landowner. Okay. Right. So in the 1600s, you have and an increase like in what's- tenant farmers. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Very nice. Like Good. what, uh, what <laughs> character was that? That was um, Mr. Martin from Emma. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, um, right. And so in the 1600s, there started to be a move toward what's called enclosing the land where the landowner would put up fences basically and say, mm -hmm. you villagers, you can't come on my land anymore. This is my land. And I'm going to use that land. Mostly they used it for raising sheep because the wool trade was big in England at the time. <laughs> okay. So they used all their land for raising sheep. Just like we talk about now, how raising cattle requires a lot of land and is therefore right. not great for the people who aren't owning the land, right? So the same thing with the sheep. They take a lot of land, a lot of resources, and they drive off the people who've lived there forever and ever, but doesn't own the land, right? So you have these different cultural forces that are all coming into play. And at the time Austin's writing, they sort of transition into probably the most famous English uh, landscape aesthetic, which is called the English Landscape Garden. So I don't know if you guys have heard about that, but um, this is a specific style, which- I think the Cumber Museum has an English they probably, garden. <laughs> they probably oh. do. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a very big thing in garden history. Yeah. So the English landscape garden is designed to look like open fields that nobody lives on. And there, there aren't a whole lot of flowers and things. Um, it's not prettified. It's supposed to look natural. Oh, okay. Like nobody's okay. ever lived there. It's like just wild. wild. Exactly. Yeah. But it's wild, but it's pretty wild. So like right. open fields, which somebody has mown, but you didn't see them mow the grass, you know, right. but mm -hmm. you know, so that kind of thing. <laughs> Almost, There's trees yeah. in the background, a lot of green. There's a lake, you know. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And it is really, it is a really gorgeous <laughs> really style. <laughs> I think. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. And that was becoming very popular. Now there's some things that factor into that. There's the, the, the lack of people. You don't see a whole lot of people on the English landscape garden. You might see some villagers off in the distance mowing hay or something, but they're more aesthetic than anything else. <laughs> um, and you don't have a lot of people actually working the land. So this is what's popular at the time. I feel like I'm rambling. This is what's popular at the time aesthetically is the English landscape garden. Not so much the kitchen garden, not so much the enclosed flower garden. You might have some of those around by the house close by, but in the distance you'll have these fields and forests and lakes making up the English landscape garden. And some of the things that they had, that the landowners had to do in order to create these gardens are what's called improvements. So 
this is a big thing in Mansfield Park. Um, huh. They talk a lot about improving the land, the estates. And what that basically tended to mean was tearing down all the little villages that were an eyesore and um, making these wide open spaces. And they might build a folly, uh, a blaze uh -huh. castle kind of a thing, <laughs> or a ruin, a fake ruin. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it was supposed to look all pretty and sublime and, and that kind of thing. And so they were basically taking away people's homes, relocate right. them. Um, they were trying to generally put people kind of where you can't see all the dirty messiness of real life kind of thing. Right. But sometimes also improvements would, would also incorporate things like planting trees to raise for lumber and things like that. So I don't want to imply that it was only a bad thing, um, right. socially, but you know, the trade-offs tended to be at the expense of the people who couldn't do of anything course. about it. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so all of that was, yeah, <laughs> all of that was going on um, at the time that Austin is writing. And it's something that she does engage with to a certain extent. So you've got discussions of flowers. Um, you've got discussions of what people's different lands look like. Like I said, in Mansfield Park, you've got discussions of improvements. And a lot of this, since it's Austin, a lot of times it comes back to money, right? So <laughs> are you using your money well? Are you spending right. your money correctly? Are you um, making stupid choices at the expense of other people? That kind of thing. So we think about sense and sensibility, the, the Dashwoods, the, their brother, John Dashwood and his wife, uh, uh -huh. Fanny Dashwood, when they get Norland estate, they cut down the beautiful old trees that Marianne loves so much. That says in, in Jane Austen <laughs> world, that means they're dumb yeah, <laughs> because that's, right. a, that's a poor taste choice. And then they erect, I think, a greenhouse or something, a hothouse or something. So that also is supposed to be kind of in poor taste because it's not a girl good use of your money. I mean, you're cutting down these beautiful trees, but mm -hmm. right. it's like, I don't know, taste at the expense of, I don't know, they're getting money out of it, but they have no like taste. Functionality. Yeah. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. And so yeah. then when we look at these chapters, if we look at the general's gardens, they say a lot about him as a, as a landowner. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. uh, um, What's the word I'm looking for? What's the opposite of tenant? Landlord. Landlord. And uh -huh. how he spends his money. And yeah, we get a lot yeah. of that in these chapters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the gardens show it just as well as the house. So like, uh -huh. yeah, when he's going over the house and being like, oh, look at this. And, and look at the Wedgwood China I've bought. And look at the, yeah, he's sh totally showing off in the pinery, you know, where he's growing yeah. pineapples. In England, that he's growing sense. pineapples. <laughs> <laughs> Only a hundred have ever come out. <laughs> but it's like insane. so funny because Catherine is so bored with the whole tour. <laughs> yeah. So obviously yeah. it doesn't have, I, I feel like, uh, you know, when I studied art history, we studied romanticism, which was, mm -hmm. I think, right around that same time period. But obviously mm -hmm. it was yeah. incorporated in all areas of life, you know, um, right. not just in the artistic painting and stuff like that that but um yeah that's fascinating yeah i love yeah. it yeah so was people like, have done i'm sorry go ahead uh, i was just wondering like was there like a set style that the garden had to be that was like considered like high class because i'm assuming this was like kind of like a flex of your wealth 
and to show how like wealthy and like great you were was there like a set style or was it very like indo- individualistic and they all just kind of like oh that's a good garden oh that's kind of a bad garden it's kind of like if you think of it as a fashion so okay. um what was fashionable uh would change a little bit but you've kind of got mm-hmm. your basics right there was a landscape architect kind of one of the first people who was considered a landscape architect and people would hire him um and then people would imitate him as well and his name was humphrey repton humphrey repton Mm -hmm. and he wrote some books on it and he was like okay this is what the landscape garden is supposed to look like you've got you know you've got your fields you've got your forest you've got this you've got that you need to get rid of this you need to get rid of that um there's uh this this is interesting i think <laughs> a little detail um there's what's called a haha h-a-h-a a haha um which functions like a fence but you can't see it so what it is is when you're looking out from the house because that's kind of the focal that's where you're supposed to look out from so you look out from the house and it looks like undivided you know fields and things a lot of times there'll be this haha which is it's like a little cliff or a little cut down so you're looking straight over it and you can't see it uh-huh. the cliff little cut down goes down and then there's a lower thing so what that does is it keeps all the sheep out of the places you don't uh. want it to be but you can't see the sheep or if you can they're <laughs> further away but you can't see right. a fence keeping them out of your out of your uh space so a, a haha sure. comes up in another austin book but anyway yeah, so. i've <laughs> i've never quite known what that was i always knew it was some sort of a yard thing but i wasn't <laughs> sure if it was the same as a folly or what <laughs> yeah so it's like they hide the fences they hide anything that's functional and gets hidden and it's all supposed right. to look totally natural like yeah, picturesque cool. almost yeah. <laughs> yeah that's so cool so but yeah it's like a fashion so things would change a little bit but if you go over to england now a lot of the the gardens that they have set up still if they're not mm-hmm. close to the house and they're not enclosed like with walls and stuff generally it's still kind of an english landscape effect okay. and in fact our lawns our our grass lawns now are mm-hmm. kind of a, a holdover from that aesthetic as well okay yeah that's so cool <laughs> they're completely completely useless terrible for the yeah. environment but you know they look pretty so they look nice <laughs> yeah. yeah they look quote unquote natural so <laughs> right yeah. That's yeah. so cool. I just mow yeah. my weeds and it looks like grass. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you, um, you know what? Let's do our first impressions because we should have said those. In the <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> we always forget those. I have the outline right in front of me too, and I still managed to forget it. <laughs> uh, you go first, Christian. Um, when I first, my first impression, I felt this chapter was really like cinematic, just in like the way they were describing everything. Like you could like very easily picture it in your head, and mm-hmm. it felt like it flowed really easily. It felt like it read really quickly, but it wasn't like a short set of pages. I don't think. Yeah, it was I the same it, length as the rest. But yeah. Yeah. It was fun <laughs> because of all these like wild things that <laughs> Catherine was thinking and it just made it like a really funny chapter. I feel like we're getting to see more of what Catherine is really like in her head and not just what the narrator mm-hmm. is telling us she's like in her head. So we yeah. get to see like some of the wild 
fancies that her brain goes down. <laughs> We're getting that psychological time coming in. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I thought the general really was revealing in this episode <laughs> what he's really like. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have all kinds of notes in my margins. They're not nice notes. <laughs> Reactions to the general. Yeah. What about you, Kristen? Um, I think similarly to what you said, Maya, um, I was really struck with how Austin kind of, it's cliche, but has her cake and eats it too. So like the mm-hmm. scene with the chest, she writes it like it's actually totally mysterious and yes. like, creepy and stuff. And if you read it, you're like, whoa, this is creepy. And then she's totally just making fun of it at the same yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> because we're in Catherine's head. And I yeah. love that. I was like, oh, it's great. Now that we know Catherine, as you said, you can still get caught up in, in what she's thinking. And yeah. when it gets swept out from underneath you, you're just kind of like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was being Catherine there. <laughs> I was struck by how similar like that Catherine's first night was to what Henry was laying out for her. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. even though it didn't have all the actual drama, but like, she was like, up. no, he said this and that's what happened. So <laughs> <laughs> I like that. All right, well, um, let's get into the recap. Yes. All right, chapter 21. We start and Catherine is shown to her room and it's not anything like Henry said. <laughs> it's not too large and it's far from uncheerful and um since her fears were eased she decided not to explore so she threw off her habit because she's trying to get ready for dinner really quick mm-hmm. so that was the last thing uh eleanor was like yeah don't change too much just come quickly <laughs> right <laughs> so she's throwing off her outer clothes when she sees this big chest and it makes her forget everything else <laughs> And she's like, I wonder why this chest is pushed so far out of sight and what could possibly be in it? And so she goes over to examine it and she finds like it has these old silver handles. It's all tarnished in a lock. And there's this little plaque and the only legible letter is a T or maybe it's, was it a T? Did she say it was or was it? I got confused. Uh, not, it's not a T. She believes the T. It has to be a D. So then, trembling, she raises the lid, and just then, a maid knocks at the door, and the (laughs) chest slams shut, and uh, she's like, oh, better get back to dressing. (laughs) So she's trying to get dressed, but she's still distracted by this chest the whole time, and when she finally gets dressed, she just wants to open the chest again, so she gathers up her courage and opens it and finds a white cloth. (laughs) (laughs) and um i was wondering if it was like the claws that they throw over the chairs when they're out of town for a while (laughs) you know they're like dust coverings Um, or something like that my i think it's my book says it's bed covering oh it's like embroidered with like an ornamental (laughs) pattern okay yeah so it's like some sort of Um, bed like sheet thing okay yeah she found the linen chest so uh (laughs) Then Eleanor comes in and catches her. 
Mm-hmm. But she's super friendly about it and nice. And she's just going on about, oh, isn't that a funny old chest? You know? <laughs> and then um, she checks the time and they run downstairs because it's late. <laughs> they got to get there. Yeah. So uh, just as they arrive, the general is pulling the bell violently. <laughs> and they all sit down for dinner. And the general scolds Eleanor for making such a fuss about punctuality. She's like, I did it because of you, dude. <laughs> and this like totally mortifies Catherine um, because she feels like she's to blame for that. And she's looking around and the dining room is so fancy that it's basically lost on Catherine because all she notices is how gigantic it is. <laughs> <laughs> and the general's all fake modesty and like, oh, the Allens must have much larger dining rooms. And she's like, no, not at all. And this makes him very happy. <laughs> <laughs> Just like an eye roll. <laughs> um, so th- then she says, like, whenever the general is not around, there's pretty good general happiness. Um, not general happiness, but general happiness. <laughs> 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 and it's not even that bad when he's there. It's just, you know, not as nice. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that night it rains violently and Catherine is hearing the wind blowing. She hears a door get slammed shut down the hall. And um, oh, then she starts to actually feel like she's in an abbey for once. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. So now she has all the atmosphere, but none of the fear because she's already put her fears to rest. And because Miss <laughs> um, Tilney is only two doors down after all. And there's a fire in the fireplace, which is just so nice. (laughs) (laughs) So Catherine is feeling very lucky not to be a poor and shivering. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like a real heroine from one of her books. Uh She's looking around a room. She sees the curtains moving and she hums a little tune to herself <laughs> and uh, bravely scared. checks. I'm not scared. I'm not scared. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever I feel afraid. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, but then she, she checks it. It's just the wind against the window. And she's determined she really wants to stay up late and be the last to go to sleep. <laughs> but she's not going to let herself build up the fire because that would just be, you know, going too far. <laughs> but just as the fire is starting to go out she notices this big black cabinet that somehow she didn't notice in the room before (laughs) she starts to remember the story henry was telling her on uh the drive so she looks closely at it it's got it's like a japanese style with fake gold um on everything and she tries to turn the key but she can't get the door open And she knows that she'll never sleep if she can't get it open. (laughs) (laughs) So she tries the key again with determination this time. And finally it opens. And there's a ton of little drawers. And there's another small door right in the middle with a key. So she opens up all the drawers, you know, going through her um, list of what happens in a story. Always there's something (laughs) hidden under the lining or a little catch. So she makes sure to check all of that as well. Uh, No secret compartments. And then she opens up the little tiny door and she finds some papers. And when she takes them up, she has this 
whatever. Oh, she has this an emotional and awful feeling as she snatches them up. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know what she's doing, like, because I thought it was a candle, but I don't know how you lower the light of a candle, but she's trying to lower the light somehow, but accidentally extinguishes it altogether. And so then she's just standing there in the dark, terrified with these papers in her hand. And then she hears footsteps down the hall and she's so scared that she jumps into bed and buries herself under the covers. <laughs> <laughs> and she lays there for a while wondering how she's ever going to fall asleep and wondering about the papers that she found. And she plans to read them the second the sun rises. And so she tosses and turns and listens to all the sounds in the house. And after around three more hours of that, she falls asleep. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's the end of that chapter. <laughs> so there is an annotation in my book about the candle. Um, uh-huh. And it's, uh, it says that she's likely using a tallow candle, which is a candle of modest quality made from animal fat that would be used for like tasks, like preparing for bed and stuff. I didn't need like strong illumination. And I guess she would, uh, the way to like lower it would be like to snuff it using special scissors to cut at the wick, I think. Uh-huh. And they said what probably happened was because she was making herself so nervous and crazy that she cut too low and extinguished it. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds about right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, because I was imagining a lamp, but then they were talking about a candle and my brain just would Mm -hmm. not figure out how that worked. (laughs) Yeah, I had no idea about it, but I thought that was so funny. (laughs) Such a ding dong. (laughs) Oh, but I love her. Uh, did mm-hmm. you have anything else, Kristen, <laughs> about that chapter? No, it's just so fun and and gothic. Yeah, <laughs> it was like gothic okay, so, and like goofy. Oh, yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so chapter twenty-two. Catherine is awakened the next morning as the maid opens the shutters to her window. And she remembers the papers immediately and jumps out of bed to grab them and bring them back with her into bed. (laughs) And there's a lot less than she remembered when she, um, from last night. So she reads them and realizes that they're washing bills and a farrier's bill. (laughs) So humbled to the dust, she says. (laughs) (laughs) She realizes that she kept herself up half the night in terror over some washing bills. And uh, she realizes the truth of her own folly and is pretty glad that Henry doesn't know what just happened here. (laughs) So she folds the papers back up, puts them where she found them. And it's funny because the lock seems to work just fine now. And then she realizes, oh, it was unlocked and I locked it. it. That's why the door wouldn't open. (laughs) (laughs) i've done that though (laughs) (laughs) it's like she like is so like convinced that she's not in a gothic novel that she is like unconsciously setting herself up to be in a gothic novel like with everything that she's doing yeah her brain really wants to go there but she keeps trying to talk herself out of it (laughs) okay so she goes down to breakfast and henry is there And she wants to seem brave um, when he asks her about the storm from last night. 
but she's not really one to be able to lie at all. So she can't quite lie about it, but she just kind of brushes it off as best as she can and changes the subject to flowers. (laughs) (laughs) And she says that she's just learned to love a hyacinth. (laughs) And I think Eleanor basically taught her how. Uh, She said she didn't Mm -hmm. used to like flowers. And Henry is happy that she can learn to love something. He says, the habit of learning to love is the thing, which I like. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Then the general comes in and makes it hard for Mm -hmm. Catherine to regain her composure. And again, he's doing the whole fake humility and going on about how great every single thing he owns is. I think this is where he's talking about his tea set and he's like i got it two years ago but it's way old so i'm thinking of getting a new one a fancier (laughs) one (laughs) catherine's like i don't care it looks great to me (laughs) (laughs) yeah the general is also talking up about how nice henry's house is and how his living is important it's important for henry to have employment even though he doesn't need the money which I think is an unusual mm-hmm. um, idea back then. I feel like if you were rich enough to not have to work, then you were basically, you're supposed to not work, kind of. Well, that's the problem that Edward has in Sense and Sensibility, right? right? Like he he wants to do something, but they re- either don't, his mother either doesn't want him to do anything or she wants him to do something super fancy. So, yeah, yeah I mean, maybe it was something they were... I don't know, everybody was talking about at the time. Well, um, I did the deep dive on the general and, um, you know, being that he had a profession, I assume that's part of what makes him want to, his <laughs> sons to have them yeah. as well. Yeah, my um, my book was saying that it could hint at his, just his, uh, him despising idleness because he also was rich and didn't need to get a job, but he went into the military and his oldest son, I think, has a job. And so... He's yeah, he's also in the military. Yeah. 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 So he's like, but it was saying that it was very uncommon for the time. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I mean, clearly, despite what the general says, <laughs> um, <laughs> clearly money is kind of important to him. So yeah. <laughs> he spends a lot of it. <laughs> so he talks of nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, <clears throat> The general wants to show Catherine around the house and she was really wishing it was just Eleanor, but still wants to see everything. So she's happy. And so the general decides that Catherine would rather see the gardens first. And Catherine is like, I don't really want to. I don't want him to put himself out because he thinks that's what I want. Cause that's not what I want. And Eleanor's like, no, that's what you want. It's what you want. And Catherine is scared because she actually is afraid she's not going to understand how to appreciate the grounds without Henry there to tell her what's picturesque. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she thinks it's beautiful all on her own, though. <laughs> she doesn't need Henry to tell her what's beautiful. So she bursts forth with her admiration, and um, she learns that the grounds are twice as big as the Allens, and the general forces her to tell to tell him that they're the best ground she's ever seen, basically. (laughs) He has a pinery, which one of the adaptations we watched, we talked about a pinery because I think we did. Somebody had a pinery. 
but I've heard a little bit about how it's like such a just only the richest most extravagant people would have them so he okay so the general keeps trying to compare himself to Mr. Allen and he's always preening and especially when he realizes that his house is bigger and grander than Mr. Allen's so anytime Catherine's like no this is way nicer than Mr. Allen's he's just like bursting (laughs) with happiness and they wander around and they see every little tiny detail and at some point they're about to go on um this walk I think just across to another building and Eleanor starts to take this kind of shady gloomy quote-unquote walk (laughs) because it's one of her favorites but the general does not like that walk so he says okay I'll just go a different way you guys can take that walk together so they go off alone and Catherine's relieved (laughs) (laughs) and Eleanor mentions that this was her mother's favorite walk and Catherine wants to hear all about this lady she's barely even heard of before. And Eleanor thinks um, the loss of her mother was great, but it was, but it's been increasing as she's gotten older because she's realized as she's gotten older that she has no women around and that a mother would have been like a constant friend to her. And so she really regrets not having her the older she gets. And um, Catherine is asking all about her. She wants to know if there's a picture and Eleanor has one in her room supposedly and Catherine is starting you know to think about things in her head she's wondering if her mother could have been unhappy in her marriage because she's like well the general he doesn't love her walk that she used to love to go on so he must not have loved her Oh, and when um, Catherine finds out that the painting of the mother is in Eleanor's room and not like, you know, displayed prominently, she also becomes suspicious of the general because he didn't want the portrait around. So Catherine indulges her suspicions and pretty much decides that the general's a bad man. (laughs) (laughs) But she's kind of forced to be nice to him, so... She starts to walk real slow as she's thinking about all this. And once the general is caught up to them, he sends them into rest because she's not really keeping up anymore. And he's like, don't look at the rest of the Abbey without me. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the end of chapter 22. (laughs) Uh, I just thought it was so funny that she like jumped to wild conclusions because I feel like we've had her jump to these like kind of like fanciful kind of ideas before, but it seemed like this was like the farthest jump that she's made. And I don't know if like the night before had any influence on that or if this is like her true, like she just loves to dramatize everything to the max. Well, you know, it's funny. Up until now, I felt like she is willing to give everybody the benefit of the doubt about everything and blame herself anytime she feels the slightest bit of weirdness with anyone. Mm-hmm. But like something about the general is really made her like you know, <laughs> <Not> spiral like. <laughs> she 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 just she she doesn't trust him and she's not sure why and she's making up a whole story about why but I mean he's been so fake the whole time <laughs> if you have no experience <laughs> with that and you're just seeing someone be fake but you're not understanding oh this is like a whole thing then I could see like you know, you're just making up because you're only for <laughs> reference of these gothic novels that you're reading. Right. I wonder if uh, it might be related to the fact that they're at the Abbey now instead of in Bath. So like, I can imagine that 
when she's in Bath, that feels like the real world. And then now she's come to an Abbey, yeah. you know, it's like, it's like having walked into a book and even if, you know, the chest didn't turn out to be anything. And even if the cabinet didn't turn out to be anything, yeah, his character, she knows she doesn't like him. So in her mind, she's like villain, Abby, this is the kind of villain he is. So <laughs> that's kind of how I, yeah, I feel like she's she reading have, him. Like, Mr. Allen there to check her. Yeah. You give know? her some Henry's indulging her fantasies at this point and Eleanor is just too <laughs> nice to ever say anything <laughs> so and Henry's gone too he's no, like true. gone mm -hmm. off to his house for a while yeah it's true so. all right so chapter 23 so basically this is like an hour later after they've come inside and again Catherine is sus suspicious of General Tilney just walking around by himself for an hour <laughs> Um, and now it's time to tour the house. So I guess the generals come back. They go into the real drawing room, which is only for the fancy guests, like I guess, <laughs> kings and queens. I don't know. <laughs> Royalty or um, what do you call them? Uh, nobility. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this drawing room is huge it's expensive as the general is pointing out <laughs> <laughs> then they go to the library and this is where Catherine is truly impressed by this room she's finally found something she really likes she uh then oh yeah okay so they get to the library um there isn't much else she hasn't seen at this point but she thinks that there's got to be a lot more secret rooms, like some cloisters that are connected to some other rooms that you, she's just not knowing are there. She likes the courtyard. She can kind of tell where the old cloister bedrooms were for the um, nuns or monks or whatever lived there. And they pass by Henry's room, which is cluttered with guns and waistcoats. <laughs> I was like, mm, waistcoats, interesting. I knew you liked clothes. It makes sense. You have a ton of waistcoats lying around your room. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, they go to the kitchen and it still has the old walls, but everything else is like the most modern conveniences. And I was thinking, I'm sure the cooks are happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> She only wants to see ruins. She only wants to see what is ruined, and they're only showing her the luxury at this point. So it's all a little bit of a disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> she notices how many servants there are, and she's like amazed by the number of staff it takes to keep this place up. And she's like, The Allens only have two girls. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> And they could play. Oh, yeah. No, I don't think that was it, though. Um... Oh, did it's, I miss she, Yeah, she says, um, the number of servants continually appearing did not strike her less than the number of their offices. And then she says, how inexpressibly different in these domestic arrangements from such as she had read about, from abbeys and castles in which, though certainly larger than Northanger, all the dirty work oh. of the house was to be done by two pair of female hands at the utmost. Okay. How yes, they could yes. get... Yeah, how they could get through it all had often amazed Mrs. Allen. I when, gotcha. Yeah, and when Catherine saw what was necessary here, she began to be amazed herself. 
So, <laughs> oh, some reality coming in. So okay. when they're talking books, Mrs. Allen's like, yeah, but I mean, two maids in the whole house. I don't believe yeah. that. Yep. And uh, yeah. <laughs> so now it's clicking with Catherine. I get you. Yeah, she's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> okay, so servants, where were we? She, okay, so she sees a couple more bedrooms. They're very modern and very boring. And um, <laughs> he, oh, uh, Miss uh, General, the general unexpectedly compliments her by hoping that the, those guests, those boring guest rooms, would soon be occupied by their friends from Fullerton, <laughs> <laughs> Catherine's house. And then she starts to feel bad about ever thinking bad things about the general. <laughs> <laughs> I've had that before where you're like, your brain is like, I'm thinking the worst thing. And then they say something nice. You're like, oh, I'm the worst person. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, God. Um, so uh, Eleanor is about to show Catherine another room down like a hallway. Like, I guess it's like a little suite of rooms or something. And the general angrily stops her and Eleanor shuts the doors and Catherine just gets a littlest glimpse of an old and kind of windy hallway, which she's very excited about. She's like, dust? Oh my God, <laughs> let me in. <laughs> she said she'd now rather see this hall than she would have rather seen any of the rest of the house. <laughs> That's how intriguing it is to her now. And now it's also a mystery, which, you know, is her bread and butter. And Eleanor tells her that it was her mother's room, and that is where she died. Ooh, that's where the ghosts live, of course. <laughs> so Catherine, of course, is desperate to see it, and Eleanor promises to show it to her when her father's away sometime. Catherine asks and finds out that her mother died nine years ago, and she wants to know if Eleanor was there when she died, but she wasn't. So oh, Catherine gets a chill and <laughs> she starts to suspect something terrible of the general again. <laughs> <laughs> and then she sees him pacing with a furrowed brow and she becomes convinced he must be guilty. Why else would he be pacing the floor? <laughs> and Eleanor notices her staring at her father and tries to reassure her that he always faces around the room <laughs> don't worry about it that's just his way he can't sit still and um Catherine gets sent to bed but the general is like i still have a lot of work to do tonight and that also makes Catherine suspicious because how could some stupid pamphlets be so important that it's going to keep him up all night long <laughs> so she's coming up with all sorts of theories in her head she's like did the general imprison his wife or did he send her away with something about poor food? Did he just give her poor food? I don't know. And then she's like, oh, he probably imprisoned her in a cell below her room that you can only access by a secret passage. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine even surprises herself with her own suspiciousness. And um, <laughs> she, but she just, she can't let go. She knows that there is something off. So she looks through her window and she's going to try to spy and see if she can see a light going from uh, the mom's room down through a secret passage at some point, because of course the general will have to sneak in there at some point in the middle of the night to feed her <laughs> or whatever. I don't know. So she's determined to 
to watch, but she figures that nothing's going to happen before midnight. I mean, he's not going to risk that. <laughs> so she decides to wait till midnight. And when midnight finally comes around, she's been asleep for half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the end of that chapter. <laughs> oh, did you have anything else about chapter 23? No, just somebody get that girl a pen and some paper. No. She's clearly uh, a novelist at heart. <laughs> a wild imagination. Yeah. It's too bad she doesn't keep a journal. <laughs> <laughs> I almost felt like, and I don't know if I'm like wrong in interpreting it, but um, I almost felt like uh, Jane was Jane Austen was poking fun at the gothic novels by the way oh, she yes. was writing, where she was like, have this giant buildup, and then at the end you find out she's been asleep for like half an hour at this point. Yeah. yeah. And it's almost like, Pulling our legs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it's so it. perfect. So it's funny. even like when Henry was telling the story, it's very similar. Like, it's, you know, building it up with the suspense of an actual gothic tale. And then, mm-hmm. what? It's a comedy all of a sudden because the joke falls. <laughs> Someone walks in the door and you're like, oh, laundry list. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Anything else or should we go into favorite moments? Does anybody want to go first? Can anyone know it off the top of their head? Um, I think my favorite moment was when they're in the gardens and she just, she makes that like really big leap to when they don't, when the general does not want to go down the walking path mostly because he's like it's muddy and gross and she <laughs> is like well he must have hated his wife and he, <laughs> he must have been an unhappy marriage and he's a terrible person <laughs> I just I thought it was so funny because like I didn't expect her to make that jump I feel like it was a surprise to me <laughs> I was like yeah. oh okay <laughs> <laughs> that's why I feel like maybe the uh, narrator has been shielding us from Catherine's real internal monologue mm-hmm. like, this whole time because like she's been explaining to us but now that we're actually seeing in her head it's like Catherine. <laughs> it's like Whoa. oh my god he's a murderer oh my god no he's nice oh my gosh no he must be locking up his wife underneath the basement I don't know <laughs> <laughs> what was your favorite moment Kristen um so there's there's a couple of little ones. So in chapter 22, so that's the one where they go out to the gardens in the breakfast part where um, the general is talking about how everybody should have a job. And uh, he's like telling this to Catherine. And then it says, um, the imposing effect of this last argument was equal to his wishes. The silence of the lady proved it to be unanswerable. So I feel like we get the narrator back here again because that line is so just dripping with irony. The silence <laughs> of the lady proved that he, basically that he was right. <laughs> Clearly, that's what he thinks. Um, yes, no so I love that. Is affirmative, of course. That's right. That's, right. <laughs> that's right. So I love that because it was like, oh, here's the narrator again with her irony. And then I also just love the image of. So he's showing them around the house pointing out all the stuff she doesn't care about and he went to the trouble to like she says paces off like what is it he hold on let me see if i can find it he gave him i don't remember but um they're going through one of the rooms and he he like paces it oh paces out the length 
where was that the dining oh, room was that the, the fancy drawing room <laughs> but yeah the dining room so he's like showing her how long how big it is and he paces off the length it's like can't you just imagine this man who's clearly uptight because he's all he's a general and like very vain and he he actually walks the length of the room to show the 17 year old how big the room is and i'm like You're such an idiot <laughs> Who cares? I know. He's really only trying to impress himself, it feels like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there was like a little notation in my book that was saying like he was like probably most likely trying to impress Catherine so that she would be more into the idea of marrying Henry. Probably because she wasn't as rich and he'd be like, this is going to be so amazing to her. And but uh, they were also like he probably also gets pleasure out of showing off his richness and oh yeah, <laughs> any time that she's like, no, the Allens aren't as good as that. He's like, oh, <laughs> he's like, great. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I will say it's hard to pick a favorite from these. I really like when she first gets to the room and she's investigating the big chest. And I particularly love it anytime that Catherine falls asleep when she's planning on being a spy. <laughs> so when she buries under the covers, I could just picture her like hiding under the covers and laying there. It's probably, she thinks it was three hours, but it probably wasn't even three hours. <laughs> and when she decides she's going to wait up for the general to sneak around and she falls asleep before midnight before she even can or and she's like i'm gonna stay up and be the last one to go to bed in the whole house it's like i just <laughs> love seeing those moments with her <laughs> i also really like when she when they're doing the tour and he's like oh maybe your family will be staying in these guest rooms someday and she's like what why was i ever thinking anything bad and then like five minutes later she's back to thinking that stuff again <laughs> <sighs> All right. Well, um, shall we do the deep dive? Yes. Yes. Okay. This week I did the deep dive on General Tilney. <laughs> I was thinking of, I, I was actually thinking I might not do the general at all because we only have a few more weeks left and I figured we could do them at another time. But something about these chapters, I was just like, no, I'm feeling the general this week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, okay. So. He was married to a Miss Drummond. She was a wealthy heiress, we've already discovered, who brought a dowry of 20,000 pounds, which is like almost Emma Woodhouse level. That's huge. They had three children. We know Frederick, Henry, Eleanor. Okay, so the majority of this that I wrote actually comes from the website sarahemsley.com. And the article is called General Tilney, the Ogre of Northanger Abbey. Mm. And it's, I think it's an essay by someone named Diana Birchall. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so there was a lot of I stuff I was like trying to figure out which one was which. But it was a great, great article. So if you guys want to read it, you should definitely look it up. And I'm probably just quoting a lot of it. So <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> so General Tilney, he is Jane Austen's parodic gothic villain as yeah and the uh so the ironic joke of his character is that his sensibilities don't harken back to the actual lurid crimes of the 15th century rather he's a thoroughly modern man chiefly interested in money materialism and his own superiority and he's such a prevalent 
that we can see him in many places of power even today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not a hard that's not a hard leap. No. It's almost as if two centuries hadn't passed since Jane Austen wrote him. <laughs> <laughs> so Catherine, who has so little experience of the world, has no idea what to make of him and misreads him like at every stage of the novel. Her artless assumptions are one of the first things that Harry notices about her finding her innocence and simplicity refreshing after a lifetime of watching his father's signature unpleasantness and double dealing machinations so the the general's main technique uh, for manipulation is florid insincerity <laughs> which i love that expression that's a great phrase <laughs> yeah so he uses repeated empty praise protesting one thing while doing another uh, the reader, if not Catherine, <laughs> can see through him very quickly. His false graciousness reveals him reveals him as a domestic tyrant. And even Catherine can see right away that his mere presence is a damper on his children. So Catherine's mind starts to equate him with his evil counterpart and Mysteries of Udolfo, the evil Signor Montoni. They say that right? Montoni. <laughs> yeah. And his motives are actually similar to the character from that book. So I guess many. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's also this like subtle element of sexual predation as he kind of tries to woo Catherine for Henry. And he treats his daughter as kind of a submissive slave almost. He quote unquote makes love to Catherine with gross flattery and subterranean sexual appeal when alone with yeah, her so for the first time. Oh, go ahead. I was, go, I was gonna say just, I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Um, <laughs> first time I read this book, uh -huh. up until the end, I really thought the general was trying to woo Catherine for himself. I thought he was like <laughs> out for her. <laughs> yeah, he's over the top with it. <laughs> he's yeah. just so mm -hmm. creepy about that. Yeah, sorry, and I didn't they're mean to pointing interrupt. out like, no, 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 you're fine. Um, the first time that he actually is alone with her is when he has like that oily kind of sexually tinged, alluding to the elasticity of her walk, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but even so, even so, Catherine never actually fears for her chastity in his hands. She might think he's, you know, evil and hiding his wife, but she's never afraid that he's going to try to rape her or something horrible that's because that's not uh, in the books that she's read <laughs> they, hint at it, but they don't actually say it her she never like, got to that no, part no, no. you're not reading that one <laughs> <laughs> so okay so northanger abbey was written after the french revolution which re resulted in years of riots and unrest that affected austin's own family and although we don't know anything about the general's past, we can assume that he was very wealthy before his marriage because an heiress as wealthy as his wife wouldn't marry a pauper, you know. A young and wealthy married man would not likely be sent to fight in the American Revolution or in India under Warren Hastings. But he did become a general, which implies that he enjoyed power and now in retirement, he abuses that power on his family. And then, oh, and then there's a scene in the, or in the article, at the very end of the article, there's a scene from her book that she was writing at the time she wrote the article, which is out now. It's called The Bride of Northanger. And it was great. 
I, I was like, I want to read this book because this little scene is great. <laughs> I looked it up. It has really good reviews on Amazon and Goodreads. So I'm going to have to check out that book. <laughs> All right. So um, for Zodiac, I texted you both asking what would be a good adjective for the general because the only one that could, would come to mind when I was trying to put in like what's the most blah 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 sign was abusive <laughs> and I was like yeah. so you both gave me some great ones so here's what I came up with or I've got a few that we'll have to well I've got two actually okay so I looked up what is the most abusive sign and a bunch of different ones. One of them was the most selfish signs, most narcissistic signs. And I came up with three signs that he could be. One, which I think may be the most likely, is Aquarius. Aquariuses can be very controlling. They make you feel like you need permission to do anything. And they'll try to micromanage you because they're sure that you don't know what you're doing. They can be incredibly insensitive to other people's feelings. And once they have their eye on you, they can be very cruel. They only think about their own wants. They're cold and aloof and will take advantage of people for their own goals. So obviously, again, we're only looking at the negative sides of these signs. So don't feel offended right. if you are one of these. Uh, so when I was looking at selfish, I also thought maybe a Taurus. They can be greedy and materialistic. And they're also the most, they were on the, they were the most narcissistic sign when I looked up narcissistic signs. They believe they're better and deserve more than most people and they can be bullies. And finally, Leo, <laughs> my own sign, so don't think I'm not turning the tides on myself. Um, <laughs> they're very full of themselves and they think the world revolves around them. They come off as confident, but are secretly insecure. And they love bomb people showering someone with attention, which he kind of does, but I feel like he's so insincere about it. I just don't know if he's a Leo. So they can also spend themselves as a victim in order to get more attention. So I honestly think it sounded more like Aquarius just because of the coldness and aloofness that, cause I just don't feel mm -hmm. like I feel any warmth from him ever, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I agree. You guys agree? Yeah. Yes. Okay, well, that was easy. <laughs> what about Harry Potter? I mean, that was obvious. Slytherin. Slytherin. <laughs> I don't know. I could see him being like uh, an overconfident Gryffindor a little bit. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I think Slytherin is a little bit more fitting. Yeah. With the coldness. Do you think Slytherin, Kristen? I don't know. I mean, Slytherin definitely you've got your coldness and your ambition. Gryffindor, I can see with kind of the hot temper kind of approach maybe. Um, the one that came to my mind was Ravenclaw actually. Oh, really? I don't oh. know. I don't know exactly why. I think because he does feel so detached to me. And I think of Ravenclaws, you know, they're all mental and stuff. So it's like the body mm -hmm. is different or is separated a little bit. <laughs> And just, I feel like it would take a lot of mental work to maintain this pretend modesty he's got. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of, I kind of, um, I see the Ravenclaw aspect in the sense of like, he has these like personal set rules. And I always imagine Ravenclaws as almost like rule followers in a way. 
and yeah. he's like yeah. has these set rules like how everyone like just because they're rich they still need jobs and how everyone needs to have a job and he has like these set rigid rules in his mind that everyone needs to follow that yeah. i can see that like aspect yeah and he's also clearly i don't know if he's a hard worker but i think you said earlier uh, i don't know if it was maya or christian one of you guys said he he's always doing something he's always got to have something to do mm-hmm. um so i mean that that sounds a little bit like ravenclaw to me because they're always working yeah. hard at school but see now you guys are making me think because when i was writing down all the zodiac stuff the virgo kept coming up in all the lists and i was like you know i could see it but i didn't end up writing it down because but it it was you know it's virgo is like got all that Ravenclaw qualities that you guys are like talking about, like mm-hmm. the everything in its place, and you know, so maybe he's a Virgo too. So maybe Ravenclaw Slytherin combo. Can we yeah. make up a backstory like for that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but I bet Catherine could. <laughs> yeah, Catherine. Oh yeah, <laughs> she'll give you a novel. <laughs> he's like he grew up in Ravenclaw, but then um, got. Like, um, maybe Slytherin was like, you're a really good Quidditch player, so you're going to be a Slytherin from now on. (laughs) And he was like, okay, cool. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, whatever. (laughs) I can see that. Okay. Final thoughts on these chapters? Um, I, I'm really excited to see how even crazier Catherine's thoughts are going to be about the general (laughs) and the house in general. Like (laughs) what other things is she going to find that she thinks are these like wild grand mysteries and they're going to end up leading nowhere, of course. (laughs) And I'm just really excited. Yeah. Uh, I'm also excited to see Henry come back and see a little more fun Mm -hmm. in love, hopefully. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Do you have any final thoughts, Kristen? Not really, except um, since I knew I was going to have limited time this week, I listened to the book on LibriVox and I got to the end of the chapters. I'm like, nah, I just go listen to the rest of it. I'll listen to the rest of it. <laughs> and I've been able to stop doing that since I've been like reading it in the actual book. But when I started listening, I'm like, once we got to this part, I was like, oh no, I got to hear the end now. So <laughs> I'm excited we're getting close to the end. Yeah, that happens to me mm-hmm. on audiobook too, because I'll be, yeah. especially this one particular one I have, it doesn't break it up by chapters. There'll be like three chapters in a chapter. So I'll have to really listen hard for the number or the, or else I'll be like, wait a minute, this is not what I'm reading. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and in honor of um, the Twitter tarot thing that went so well, I figured I would pull <laughs> a Jane Austen card for us for this week. Okay. Yeah. Jane Austen like tarot card. Let's see. Ah, we got the hermit or the nine of diamonds, which is um, pentacles or coins. And it's Mr. Woodhouse. How appropriate for the oh. hermit. <laughs> and that's pretty much my whole life at the moment. So <laughs> appropriate for me too. <laughs> everyone's relatable. Yeah, everyone's yeah. a hermit right now. Mm hmm. recommendations oh, yeah. I forgot I have one in my brain somewhere <laughs> hold on I gotta remember it I said I can go first if you want 
Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. My recommendation this week is going to be a musical. Um, you can't really see it anymore. There are clips on YouTube, um, but you can listen to the soundtrack. It's called A Strange Loop. Um, and it was last year, it, I think it was only ran for one year-ish. It was off Broadway. But I'm going to read the little summary real quick. Um, the musical is about Usher, so named because of his day job as an Usher for The Lion King on Broadway, an overweight gay Black writer as he tries to navigate the heteronormative white world. He remarks that he thinks he'll never be as successful as a singer who shares his name, something he has in common with the writer of the musical, because the writer of the musical's name is Michael R. Jackson. He is backed by a six-person all-Black ensemble who voices his inner thoughts as he begrudgingly ghostwrites a new Tyler Perry movie. <laughs> um, but it's like one of the funniest things I've listened to in a long time. It's like laugh out loud funny. Uh, you know, it's a musical. Oh, a musical. Yeah. You can find clips online of some of the performances, um, but the cast recording is really, really, really good. It's on Apple Music. I'm sure it's on Spotify, but it's really good. The The lead, um, what's his name? Larry Owens, I cannot ever remember that. Um, he's amazing. He's got an insane voice. He's so funny. He also has a podcast. I can't remember what it's called, but I think his name is in the title. And it's like a podcast where he invites people on. They'll sing their favorite songs and interpret them in their own ways. It's really good. Um, but I think it's really good. So, And it won the Pulitzer Prize for drama this year. So it's really, really good. You can check it out. Awesome. I will. Do you want to go ahead and go, Kristen? Sure. Yeah. So um, the weather's warming up out here. It's nowhere close to Florida levels, but um, we're getting <laughs> up into the 70s and the 80s. And I've just been enjoying sitting on the back porch in the afternoon, something cold to drink and listening to B.B. King, which yeah. to me is just summertime porch sitting music. <laughs> it reminds <laughs> me of Florida and just being super hot and yeah, so I've been enjoying BB King a lot lately. That's awesome. Yeah. We still don't have a playlist yet, but we'll get one day. One day. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try and do it this week. I'm sorry. But that would be a cool, that would be a great addition. Okay, I remember what mine was going to be. Um, I'm just going to recommend this Jane Austen tarot deck because I got to give credit. It's called a Jane Austen tarot deck. <laughs> <laughs> it's by Jackie or Jackie. It's J-A-C-Q-U-I, Oakley, O-A-K-L-E-Y. <laughs> um, it's a really beautiful deck. It's got, it does have major arcana, which are on the same as the regular cards. So it didn't, may not have every single card that a normal tarot deck would have, but it's got most of them. And it's really pretty. And you know, even if you're not into tarot, I still cannot resist a card deck that's like specially, um, you know, special cards just for, you know, what you're a looking at, like Jane Austen themed. So I was so excited when I found it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm going to recommend that because I got a lot of great use out of it. Um, yeah, support her. I know you can find this one at Amazon still. Um, I'm sure you can find it at other local kinds of stores too, but um, yeah, you can follow her on Instagram. She does illustrations. So yeah, check out that tarot deck. <laughs> That's so cool. And let's see. Contact? Yes. 
um, you can contact us. Our Gmail is mannersandmadness at gmail.com. Our Twitter is at mannersmadness. Uh, our Instagram is at mannersandmadnesspod. And our website is mannersandmadness.com. And you can leave us a voice message. Yes. And next week, we are doing Twin Peaks episode seven, six? I think. Seven? Oh my god. <laughs> One of those. <laughs> We're doing the next Twin Peaks episode. Honestly. We're recording it tomorrow. I didn't print out the seven. numbers though. I did write up. I just can't remember which number it is. Yeah. It's anyway, seven. the next North Thing or Abby one we're doing will be chapters 24 <laughs> through 27, however. And uh, yeah, that's everything, I think. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us. Thank you, Kristen, for being with us again. And thank you, Christian, just for being you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you too. Thank you for bringing yeah. some traffic to our Twitter. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, seriously, guys, I have never posted anything to any social media platform that has ever gotten that much attention. So <laughs> it's a little overwhelming. <laughs> but say my phone's sure been going off. A fraction of what really popular people get. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't even turned mine over. Oh, there's like a thousand notifications. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Not a thousand. I, I'm exaggerating. But, um, yeah, so join us again next week where we'll do some Twin Peaks and we're getting on the final stretch. Final stretch of this oh, section. It's nearing the end. It's Excited to see what so comes weird. next. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm ready. All right, well, join us next week. Good night. Right. Bye. Bye. Bye.